This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Next, we're going to hear um, about the policy and regulatory issues, and Julian Allison from UC Riverside is going to make that presentation. Thank you all for taking the day to come out and uh, hear about some issues and some solutions that are among the most pressing, I think, that our state faces as well as the nation and, uh, and the world. I was lucky to participate with a wonderful group of um, scholars throughout the UCs focused on policies and law and uh, local and uh, regional um, policymaking, transportation planning, and uh, there are volumes that could be set on policy and law. So what I've been charged with doing by our group is telling you about some of the highlights or some of the key um, takeaways from our exercise in reviewing all the, the law and policy at the multi-levels uh, multi uh, within California. So uh, we had a wonderful lead-up by Bill, thank you, uh, who pointed out that California's actually done a wonderful job of with respect to having to respond to the issues that we faced here in the state. Uh, we began with climate change uh, moving into energy conservation policies, and these were wonderful lead-ups to actually tackle climate change when that became an issue. And again, echoing Bill, uh, to our folks on the, on the balcony, uh, the young people today have lived in a world where there's always been climate change, and uh, many of them uh, don't realize that. Um, so they take for granted some of the things that may have been difficult for others to adopt to adopt new technologies, lower emissions, uh, changes in the kinds of transportation available. They've grown up perhaps not knowing about all the science and all the dangers, but they've grown up living in a world where some of the solutions have been in place. So that can be a very good, a very good thing. Um, we have, as a state, taken advantage of scientific, social, uh, technological um, developments as they've arisen. And uh, we, lead the, uh, we lead the nation as well as the world in terms of the progress that we've made. Uh, California is known as a major economy. Um, we are among the biggest in the world in terms of our energy use. We're 20th in the world, uh, roughly. So we're up there at the size of a nation. So in terms of thinking about what California could promise for other places or what kind of uh, example we could provide, we're, we're very well positioned um, in that sense. And in terms of our ability to respond, we're up there with France and Germany in terms of responding. And a lot of folks know these places as being clean and efficient. California's right there. Again, part of this has been our ability to respond, but another part of it is we're lucky. We're really lucky. California is uh, on the coast. We have a lovely climate which hasn't required quite as much heating and cooling as some other places have. Um, we've developed a high-end service economy, which hasn't produced as much of the dirty sorts of pollutants that other parts of the world have. We're relative, relatively affluent compared to not just other states, but the rest of the world. Yes, we do have environmental justice. We do have areas of poverty uh, that we do need to tend to. But on the whole, we're relatively affluent and well-placed. And politically, we're left-leaning, which hasn't hurt. So 
even though I'm going to talk about law and regulation, we have to keep in mind that uh, California has been lucky in a number of ways that might not be replicable across uh, the nation as well as, as well as the world. Uh, in terms of climate change, of course, uh, AB 32, the Global Warming Solution Act, uh, is the thing that put us on the map in that area, the first state, uh, the first place in the world to really take this seriously and begin to move in that direction. Um, as has already been mentioned, we need to come down to 1990 levels, which we don't necessarily know precisely what those are, and we need to do that quickly and looking forward, we need to continue to reduce moving through 2030, 2050. Getting there, again, built on this widespread movement of air and then energy quality beginning back in the 1960s. So certainly well before many of our students, well, all of our students were, were born, but before many of the faculty teaching today were born. Uh, many of the people in this room, we weren't here when some of these things um, began. And uh, California has long been known as the heart of where diffusion has come from in terms of moving these policies across the nation. So California set, set a very high bar, which then began, which set an example for states wanting to do their own thing or take their own initiative. And by the time the federal government took it up, it was like a really good bargaining chip. We'd already done it. Um, it's very difficult to move someone once they've already invested, whether it's a technological change, it's an emissions limit, um, it's a particular strategy. We could say pretty firmly, this is what we're doing. Uh, and then because it was working, it was taken up. And in a number of cases, the federal law began to um, look a lot like California's law. And in the cases where ours was more stringent, the federal law would allow those more stringent policies uh, to... Uh, persist. Um, again, because this has been a long trend, we did start out with what some people call old school command and control sorts of, um, of uh, policies or regulatory actions, moving increasingly into uh, more market-oriented strategies. Many of those got off to a rocky start, uh, beginning to prove that they do work, but the key as uh, we went back and forth with our chapter is simply pricing the carbon or pricing the effluent, pricing what that is appropriately. Sometimes precisely how you get there may matter less, and it's possible that some of our earlier strategies in California uh, might be the ones that are more useful to places just starting out, as opposed to jumping to ways that, are, that we now know are very efficient. We have to think that that didn't happen on its own. It happened because we'd already taken the intermediary, intermediary steps. Um, another a key point of California policy is that even though we are a state which we already think about as being subnational, uh, California has very consciously looked at the levels of even further subnational policy and begun to look at the efforts that cities can take, um, the roles that individuals take and the kinds of incentives that are necessary there, and then most recently in terms of seriously looking at regions. Um, my training was initially in global uh, environmental policy, global air quality, but I've spent probably the last 15, 20 years looking more at regions and at, uh, and at the state. And uh, one of the things that drew me to looking at the regions is that's, that, the, the, that what happens on the ground, changing people's behavior and their attitudes, 
is a local matter. Yes, you have state policy and federal policy, but the things that really impact them are what's happening often at municipals, municipalities, and in their cities. And uh, there are a lot of gaps there. California is a big place, and there's a lot of places where cities don't completely reach a lot of unincorporated areas. And regions help out a lot immediately with those areas, as well as drawing uh, the cities together and to begin to coordinate uh, their behavior, because certainly if one city changes and becomes cleaner, uh, their abilities to maintain that level of uh, pollution reduction or energy efficiency is going to be impeded by what the others are doing around them. So regions have been very, very important. Uh, with uh, the, global cl with the uh, climate change policy, we move from sort of an AB32 to begin to look at land use and transportation policy and to look at it as a whole just the way that regions had already been doing. So there were some of the most proactive regions had already come together and were uh, moving in that direction. I live in Riverside County, and it was one of the first to bring habitat and transportation land use planning uh, together. And that's the direction that your regions have moved in uh, California. That's produced some political tensions between the regions and the cities. Cities typically do land use planning, regions typically do transportation, and we've had to blur those edges a little bit, forced a bit more cooperation that some, that, uh, than some folks are used to. That's beginning to move in the right direction. Now all of the regions have come online with appropriate regional plans that take into account um, the prov uh, provisions for creating uh, sustainable communities. So definitely moving in the, great, in the right direction, but it's difficult. There are hiccups um, along the way. In addition to the levels of governance, we also have overlapping jurisdictions having to do with the various agencies that might be involved. So everything from development agencies to health agencies to your air quality, water, and energy and transportation agencies can also become involved. Some of those work very, very well with some of the more governance oriented organizations. Some do not. So again, you have some amount of tension and you have some places that have moved way ahead, places in uh, Northern California in particular. Um, San Diego's all been, already been um, noted as being an area that is moving ahead. So we're still struggling at some of these things, but definitely ahead of the curve in terms of looking nationally and, uh, and internationally. Uh, another point, just as sort of keeping in mind that the things that California has been able to do, we've been able to do in part because of some gifts of location and politics and such. Likewise, the, the uh, success of the regional and the city efforts have happened in part because cities were already, in some cases, moving in that direction. We already had green city initiatives. We already had bottom-up efforts from communities um, moving their cities and their um, even parts of cities, neighborhoods in some cases, into places that were positioned, if not uh, with not in terms of global warming, definitely in terms of energy efficiency and air quality. So again, positioned very well for when these things were brought together and put on, uh, and put on the agenda in terms of uh, global warming. Um, with that in mind, we did come up with sort of some things that we think are really important in terms of maybe lessons, uh, given that background. And so one is the importance of geographically, socially, and technologically specific uh, policies. 
that whatever it is that you're trying to change or to move in the direction of um, of uh, adapting to climate change, we really have to think carefully about the sort of people that are involved, the sorts of governance that maybe already works for them, the levels of technology that they're using and might be able to move to um, most quickly. Um, that that is very uh, important. A couple of things in terms of California, again, looking both at the state uh, and then looking at um, cities on more micro levels and thinking, again, regions at both levels because at the state level, if you think about energy, we're on a western grid, which is itself a region of the United States. At the municipal level, we think in terms of regions that more or less map onto counties. So region can be taken in a number of ways. But in California, we were smart to do things that looked uh, like look at your high-profile sectors first, to look at utilities um, in, in, uh, in particular, and to think about what are the changes that they can make quickly that will be exemplary and will sort of move large numbers of people quickly. So one of the things that we talk about in our chapter, chapter uh, were our efforts to decouple the rates from energy production, um, allowing utilities to begin to recover costs from energy savings. So again, both Ram and Bill have mentioned that although there's this presumption that trying to be more green is expensive, that hasn't necessarily been the co- uh, has, hasn't been the case in California. We've actually been able to move ahead uh, despite um, these costs. And then likewise, the same kind of ta- targeting in terms of, again, looking at the folks who have to make the decisions. So looking at rebates and subsidies, kinds of targets that are very narrowly focused, that you can get some folks on board very quickly that take advantage of these initiatives and can produce early lasting uh, results. So things like the rebates for solar panels, um, some of the rebates that were in place for moving to the more fuel-efficient um, technologies and automobiles, um, different kinds of incentives that can be available for using public transportation or moving to transfer, uh, transportation-oriented developments. Those things are going to target some people who are going to jump on it and begin to make uh, become um, examples examples for others. Uh, Another thing that we noticed in terms of looking at the progression of uh, policies in California historically is that we need to design policies uh, with the intention that they're going to die, um, that they have a life cycle, and build in places where we have openings to um, develop um, and to change. So things that we could put into policies, ways to come back to them, not just as an evaluative uh, form, but that we are saying we're always going to, to adopt the new technology, then it's already in policy that you're constantly looking for that new technology and you're positioned to bring it online uh, when, it's, when, uh, when it's possible. Likewise, with, um, with standards, you can achieve them by having a series of rebates. The rebates are in themselves sort of designed to die. Once we've reached that standard, we can set the standard higher and recycle that um, approach, but to think about that from from the very beginning. Uh, In line with all of this is to think about mainstreaming climate mitigation. I also study uh, gender, and uh, we always talk about gender mainstreaming. So we need to be sort of climate change mainstreaming. Every decision that's made needs to be made with that climate change uh, in position, from our educational decisions to technological uh, decisions um, about adopting technologies or developing them 
um, to the kinds of uh, policy options that we're looking at and in other policy areas. So outside of the standard transportation, energy, uh, air quality uh, areas, if we're looking at low-income housing, we should be thinking about climate change. If we're looking at um, a new, uh, we're we're going to um, develop new health policy, we should be thinking about um, climate change. It should be there present at at all times. Um, and then carrying it through some of this to these ideas, uh, one of the things that came back again and again, and it's already mentioned again in here, are the environmental justice concerns. Many of the discrepancies across uh, regions across areas within the state, uh, will often find pockets of, of poverty being aligned with places where it's the dirtiest and most polluting. And we all know the number of reasons why that happens. So special attention needs to be uh, made in terms of looking at these places and keeping them in mind. Within California policy, we are continually uh, looking at that more carefully and providing for funding that might um, come from a particular policy that some of this is put aside to address concerns um, in those areas. And so um, one of the things that we were looking at is that you know, in, in things like the transportation area and air quality, uh, which is about 37% of the problem uh, in California, um, some of the things that are available, for instance, to students, you know, which students are fairly poor, but they're a lot richer than some of the very poor people in our communities, and many students have free passes for the buses, but some of our disadvantaged people don't, and that's the only source of transportation that they have. So it's beginning to think through all of these things that it might not be throwing a whole bunch of money to green up a particular area or a particular neighborhood. Maybe it's making some of the things that are accessible to everybody else more accessible uh, to these um, to these less advantaged uh, to these less advantaged people. Likewise, things like energy um, access, lighting, heating, etc. Um, uh, I recently did some work on environmental justice around the world. Not at the time realizing some of the problems that I would find were present as well in my own city in my own neighborhoods, but looking at the what the cost of energy does to people. And uh, students are pretty, this particular, one of the studies I looked at was uh, students and how students will save money on energy, heating and cooling by spending a lot of their time in places where it's free, right? So they'll spend the whole day out, let's say, in a Starbucks or something uh, to take advantage of that. Well, you know, I was sort of thinking, well, this is like in really poor places and this is something that KG students, you know, I have to use their computers all day or something. But it's not. When we looked a little more carefully, even in our own neighborhoods, we were seeing the same sorts of things going on, that we do have neighborhoods, even in relatively affluent uh, California, where people do this as a strategy, try not to use their lights, try to turn things off, know all the places where they can use um, Wi-Fi or where the free computers are. And... Um, you know that might be something you think. Okay, well, adults kind of have to. You know, they're they're being they're they're being smart. They're figuring this out. But when you find out that the pipeline to the UCs and the Cal States out of our public schools are full of kids who are also playing this game because their parents can't afford to keep the house um, heated or can't afford to run the uh, the appliances so that they have um, food uh, and. Uh, and fresh food, that you begin to think that there are some things that we can make, that we can be thinking about as we put our policies together from 
the ground out, that no one, regardless of race, color, national origin, income, should be subject to the, the you know, disproportionate share of the environmental effects. We've looked at that, but we need to be looking at everyone in the state, likewise the nation and the world, should have access to cleaner, less expensive transit and sources of energy. That's just as much a part of adapting to climate change as some of the bigger things that we're looking at. And just to wind up um, just a few other things. With these things in mind, we need to be thinking about developing stable coalitions over time so that we can move um, our policies in that direction. And I know that, a data, that data has come up before. Uh, Many of the UCs are involved in projects where they're beginning to model and beginning to try to pull the different strains, social, political, economic, uh, et cetera, together to, to model. But more and more, we find that even if a lot of data is available, I mean, it's the age of big data, it may not be parsed out in the way that it needs to be. For some of the micro decisions that need to be made, you need you know, sort of neighborhood and street-level data that might only be available at a higher, uh, at a higher level of aggregation. And so there are still very fundamental, re, you know, basic research initiatives um, that are very important to moving us forward and improving the policies we have and making it possible for us to uh, serve as a model for the nation and the world. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that California is uh, left-leaning. Uh, I've actually got my anti-Coke socks on today, talking about <laughs> left-leaning. These have no lycra in them. Uh, you get that? Okay. Um, let's take a couple of simple questions. Uh, yes. Uh, where do we get the microphone to, please? Dan Kem and UC Berkeley. So I really appreciated hearing kind of the range of thoughts about how to integrate in the environmental justice angle. And I was wondering, in terms of the legal aspects, I mean, people mm -hmm. often talk about the executive order President Clinton signed, but are there specific aspects of California regulations that have scaled? And I say this as a Chapter 4 author, where we think about how to integrate the scaling aspects. And so I'm wondering, is there a, a back and forth there that where we've learned from the federal and they've learned from us on, on particularly on the EJ topic around energy and water? In, in our research, and our coming together, we didn't see a lot specifically on environmental justice except the incre increasing attention to awareness that some disadvantaged communities get hit over the head with all of it, that we do see this concentration. And the fact that that concentration exists and it's being looked at is certainly important. We did see a lot of going back and forth, maybe late 70s through the 80s, between the federal government and California in terms of this jockeying back and forth about whose policy was the best and how is, how is the Clean Air Act going to develop. And once we hit 1990, you kind of had a settling down. And of course, there were EJ discussions in that. But we didn't see anything specific about California offering a particular procedure to the federal government or vice versa. Hi, Jack Brower from UC Irvine. Um, the policies that have been almost emulated around the world uh, that come from California are primarily associated with criteria pollutant emissions. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you mentioned the California Air Resources Board, one of the most successful agencies ever, and then the AQMDs right. throughout the state. And, and literally, these are emulated around the world. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
can we do the same with climate? And can we include, of course, all of these criteria pollutant emissions in this climate discussion? And we've seen many places where the synergies exist, right? Reducing black carbon Mm -hmm. is, of course, a criteria pollutant, but also then has a big climate forcing Mm -hmm. function. And yet when you talk to ARB, it's very difficult to integrate those two, right? So I'm thinking about integrated policies that would include criteria pollution. Well, anything is possible. Uh, but, again, it has a, a lot of it has to do with the, the history and how we got here. So, you know, you started with a basket of criteria pollutants. And uh, that whole story in itself about how those came about and how we moved is, is, is fascinating. Uh, but we had policies that did, and, and you sort of begin to layer. It's almost like that's kind of taken care of, and we've handled that in a particular way, and we've developed the way that we do that. And now this new thing comes along, and we're going to tackle that. And the fact that we've already handled the criteria pollutants, which have evolved, or the way we've treated that has, has evolved, that becomes the basis for moving forward. I don't know that we could sort of, at this point, go back and say we're going to tack on a whole line of, of new things. The fit wouldn't necessarily be there. But going forward, when we begin to look at um, the newer sets of pollutants, they are looking, I mean, they are looked at sort of as this list, and we're going to have to deal with them. And how can we modify, for instance, um, AB 32 to extend to these, to these new um, pollutants that we want to look at? So certainly those things are going on, but you are both helped and hindered by the history of the regulations and who has jurisdictional authority to, um, to, uh, to implement them and uh, assess their, you know, sort of assess their implementation. Okay, thank you, Julian. Next. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.